Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. And welcome back to our number two of Hardline right here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Brenda Alacy here along with Joe Beamer. And uh, it's a pleasure to welcome for the first time to the Hardline Airwaves, Chris Churchill. Chris is a columnist for the Albany Times Union, and he joins us now. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Nice to have I'm doing well, thanks. Nice to have you on board, and we appreciate you taking the time. I uh, wanted to get the perspective of somebody uh, down the road on the 90 in Albany in the state capitol and kind of get your view about uh, state politics and certainly, you know, national politics. It's uh, unavoidable, and they're so inextricably linked. So, uh, Chris, first and foremost, I was very intrigued by your article today about how people are fleeing New York City, uh, mainly because of the pandemic, but yet that has benefit, benefited the uh, capital region in Albany in terms of real estate. How has that uh, played out in your view? Well, I mean, this is something that always happens, right? I mean, I've read those stories about how, you know, New Yorkers are fleeing the high cost of New York City to Buffalo and Albany and all these places for years. But I think the pandemic has really... Um, has really hit, obviously, has hit New York City probably harder than anywhere else in the country, I would say. And... You know, I think a lot of what was appealing about living there to people is, is kind of faded. You know, a lot of the restaurants are closed. You know, crowds are seen as more threatening than as, you know, enjoyable. And, you know, that's led to kind of an explosion of uh, the real estate market in the Hudson Valley. And it's reaching, apparently reaching all the way up here. With, you know, we're about two and a half hours north of north of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's who knows what the long-term implications will be for for the city, but you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting, obviously it's a interesting trend to watch. Um, you know, I don't know what the housing market is like in places like Buffalo, but here it's very, very strong, which is just a little bit weird considering, you know, that the economy is in shambles. It's uh, very strong in this area as well. I know that many houses uh, have multiple bids and people are paying over the asking price. Um, it continues to be a, uh, a really big part of the economy here in Western New York because we never really see those bubbles here. It always maintains a pretty steady pace. Um, and uh, this area has been revitalized, Chris. There's been a lot of development on the waterfront. Uh, a lot of buildings have been repurposed. Uh, there's a different sense of what Buffalo is now instead of this dingy old Rust Belt city. So uh, always interesting to hear what the perception is from the other part of the state though. Uh, what do you think, how do you think people in your neck of the woods view Western New York? Because I think sometimes we're viewed as an afterthought by the governor, or at least that's the perception. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's 
probably accurate. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, you know, the the governor, to his credit, has done probably, you know, spent more time in Buffalo than a lot of governors have, right? I mean, I know the Buffalo Billion is problematic and pretty corrupt in a lot of ways, but at least it was an attempt to do something. But, you know, yeah, I, I you know, the, the as you guys know, the problem with politics in New York State is that it's very focused on New York City, and it's not. Even, you know, even here in the capital, people feel like they're ignored by by state government. You know, it's the, all the leaders are from downstate, and that's the way it pretty much, you know, has always been and probably always will be. That's just where the population center is. But, um, you know, I think, you know, I've written, a few, I've written about the fact that, you know, the, the state is in this weird situation right now where Governor Cuomo is really kind of a one-man show. You know, the legislature has all but disappeared, and um, it's a it's a strange situation. You know, he was kind of consolidating power before the pandemic, and I think, you know, he's really used the pandemic to kind of just have kind of total control over New York State and, you know, makes every decision about our lives in, in certain respects. It's it's a, it's a weird uh Weird dynamic. And Chris, with uh, with this upcoming election and the potential of a supermajority in Albany, do you think we're just going to see more and more of that uh, when it comes to the governor in power? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I there there are you know the one of the you talk about a supermajority, but a lot of people on the the kind of progressive left are very skeptical toward the governor, right? They you know they. Um, there are a lot of people in a lot of people in in that wing who who do worry about the power that he's consolidated. It's just whether or not they'll have the uh the numbers and the kind of the moxie needed to take some of that power back. But um but yeah, I mean, you know, certainly the Republicans aren't gonna come along. It doesn't seem to 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 try to wrestle it away. Chris, I wanted to ask you uh, back to Governor Cuomo for a moment about um, the whole nursing home debacle with uh, the COVID crisis. And uh, I know there's a, a column recently that you've written about how he still hasn't really answered the questions about that. Um, yeah. What do you think will will uh, unfold as you know the the months and, and as the months go on and as the spike might go up as we approach the winter months? Yeah. Well, you know, the order, the infamous order, the March 25th order that required nursing homes to take COVID patients, he won't admit that's a mistake, right? And, he, you know, he ne- probably never will. But you know it's a mistake because they're never going to do it again. You know, I mean, that... It tells you something. Yeah, and it also tells you something that they scrapped it, you know, six weeks in, too. But, you know, I've written a lot, you know, New York, as you guys may know, counts its nursing home nursing home deaths a lot differently than most other states. If, if in New York, if you got sick in a nursing home, but died in the hospital, you weren't counted as a nursing home death. And, um, you know, governor Cuomo has been pressed. There's even a lawsuit now trying to get him to release the full, the full total of the numbers. And he's has not been willing to do that. And I think that's because in part, because it will make that March 25th order look even worse. You know, I think when people really understand how many nursing home residents died and not just because of that policy, but just, you know, overall, I think, uh, there really will be a reassessment of that, of that part of his record. And Chris, that came about because, uh, the state had turned down a freedom of information law request, right? But then the empire center for public policy 
filed a lawsuit demanding release of that nursing home data? Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of reporters, a lot of the Capitol reporters have been asking for that data for many, many months now. Um, a lot of the state lawmakers have been asking for that data. Um, but then the Empire Center asked for that data, and, you know, it kept getting rebuffed and saying that they couldn't. And it's funny, too, the, the Department of Health has, has pretty much admitted that they have the data available, but then it's just somehow never available for release. So the Empire Center filed a lawsuit, which, you know, I, the weird thing about this is I, it's, it's hard to figure out why Cuomo just doesn't release the data because it's going to be released eventually. You know, I mean, they're going to... Well, isn't it, isn't it because he's trying to protect his public image? Right, but he's, in a way, it's almost like bite the bullet now and then move on rather than have this keep dragging out and keep having people like me writing articles about it, right? <laughs> right. The data... Well, maybe he thought it would hurt his book sales. What's, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, the joke was that the data was going to be in the book, but of course it wasn't. <laughs> Chris, have you read the book? Yes. You have? Uh, n- uh, yeah, yeah. Now, as someone who's covered Albany, someone who's in Albany, uh, what are your takeaways from that book? So it was, uh, you know, it's, it's not entire. If, if you've seen the daily briefings, or if, if you watch the daily briefings, and a lot of people did, obviously, then you pretty much know the book because it, in some ways it's just a rehashing of the daily briefings. It's almost like a diary-type style where – goes day by day and um you know so it's it's basically what you saw from march through you know july or something like that the worst of the pandemic and i i can't imagine a lot of people want to relive those days but if you do (laughs) there's a book available where you can just you know take it all in The, the book has some interesting parts i mean i i wrote that the book is really at its best when cuomo was kind of uh, where the governor is kind of reflecting on his father or his daughters. And there's actually some really touching moments in there. There's some, um, you know, he is, there's some moments of actual honesty about himself and his flaws, but there's not a lot of honesty about policy and the decisions he made. You know, he's, he's kind of portraying himself as the great hero of the pandemic, which I know there is an audience out there that thinks that's true. And there's an audience that thinks that's completely bunk, but you know, it was a little strange to kind of write a book about yourself that kind of, so soon after, I mean, we're still in the middle of this thing, right? It's not over, and it just to a lot of people, it, um, uh, it's just a weird time to write a book. Yeah, and being in Albany, being around um, state leaders, was there any buzz? I mean, was there any state leaders questioning why, in the middle of a pandemic, the governor's releasing a book uh, to financially profit off of the pandemic? Yeah, there was a grum- there was a lot of grumbling about it. You know, I mean, he he has the right to do what he wants in his free time, but it, it is a little bit, I think a lot of people find it a little distasteful, you know, to, to, because he hasn't said how much he's being paid, he hasn't said, you know, he's, he has said he'll donate some of the money to charity, but, but not all of it. And, um, yeah, yeah, there, there is, you know, and the funny thing too is the book, if you read it, it's clearly rushed. I mean, they really rushed it to have it out. I, I supposedly, I guess, before the election, maybe, or, you know, before whatever, you know, another spike in the pandemic. But, I mean, he makes some really strange mistakes in the book. Like, he's well, Chris, protesters. Well, go ahead. Chris, I was going to say one of those mistakes I wanted to ask you about. Uh, 
And, and I find it mind-boggling because it's so easy to check things in today's world. But he talked about the Capital City Rescue Mission in Albany, um, the tragic loss of that after protests erupted after the killing of George Floyd. But the mission, in fact, had never really burned down, or, nor was it set on fire. So how do you figure that he would include that in the book? That's a good question. I mean, that just, that's kind of what I was talking about, about how rushed it seemed to be. The funny thing is, I mean, that, that mission is only, it's, you know, homeless shelter, essentially. It's only about five blocks from the governor's mansion. It's not like it's, you know, in Watertown or someplace where it would have been hard to check. You know, he, he can just drive by it anytime he wants or walk by it anytime he wants. Um, but, the, yeah, that just goes to show that this book was does seem to have been kind of rushed into print without the usual fact checking or the usual, you know, thorough editing that books normally would get. I mean, that's just such a blatant error and it's just so obvious to anyone who lives in Albany and, you know, knows that the shelter didn't burn down. Right. Right. Well, what's your thought about uh, if Biden were to win the, the presidency, uh, that Andrew Cuomo is among the people he's vetting for attorney general. Do you think that's political spin or just a way to quote for Cuomo to get his name out there? Or do you think there is some fact in this? I, I think there might be something to it. I mean, I don't know. Of course, it's impossible to know how much, you know, one of the things, you know, I was talking about the nursing home numbers before and how baffling it is that um, he won't release them and just get this over with because we know the numbers are going to come out eventually. And he's just kind of keeping his own headache going. Well, one of the things that occurred to me is, well, maybe, maybe, just maybe, he's not intending to be in town when these numbers come out. You know, that was one of the things that got me thinking, well, maybe there's more to this Biden thing than, than people kind of um, thought. He's going to pull up Pete Carroll at USC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, this, you know, the numbers will come out and he'll, he'll have gone on to something else. Um. You know, he says that he says he has no interest in doing that. Um, but you know, the fact that the rumors the rumors still circulate. So I, I, you know, I think I think Biden would probably take him if if Cuomo wanted to go. Um, Chris, you know, this, yeah, he'd be leaving the state in a real lurch. So you know, there would be quite a lot of blowback, I think, you know, given that the, you know, like we said before, the economy is in shambles and everything and the, you know, the deficit is, is what it is. It would be a tough time for him to go. On the other hand, you know, he, depending on what his role is in Washington, he could kind of say like, you know, he could do what politicians always do and say that the country needs them. Patriotism says that they have to go. Chris, let me ask you, you know, we're, we're in Buffalo and obviously everything being talked about is COVID, is national politics. Here it's NY27 because it seems like an election for that seat's been going on every week between 2008 and now. Um, is there some, anything going on in Albany that doesn't have to do with COVID uh, uh, or the economy that should be getting a little more attention? Hmm, that's a good question. I can't think of anything. I mean, it's pretty much all COVID all the time. If it's not COVID directly, it's the after effects of COVID, you know, the, the budget deficits and all that sorts of, all that sort of stuff. Um, nothing really jumps to mind. I mean, you know, I think obviously the presidential election is just kind of dominating most of the uh, attention, at least for the next few weeks. And then, um, you know, this, the state's budget crisis will be the, the big focus for the next month, next few months after that. 
Chris, uh, there was a, a lot of publicity about uh, a gentleman named Martin Gugino who was uh, pushed by Buffalo police during one of the civil unrest episodes and uh, made worldwide news. Uh, and then there was a lot of talk about what was happening in Rochester with riots and all the controversy about the mayor and police chief. Do you, uh, do you focus on these parts of New York State as well? I mean, what's, what's your opinion about what's been happening in terms of civil unrest uh, across the state, not just in the Albany region? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I don't, I haven't looked real closely at the civil unrest that's happening in Western New York. I mean, when it happened here, obviously, you know, I walked this, the streets that had been affected and talked to the business owners who had been affected. Um, but I, you know, I haven't looked at it that broadly, really. Um, yeah, you know, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm aware of both those situations. Uh, you know, the uh, the protester in Buffalo, especially because of the you know the presidential tweet, right? Get a lot of attention. Um, and then the situation in Rochester was just really strange, kind of disturbing in, in certain respects. But I haven't looked at them at either one particularly closely. Yeah, we you know we often say in Buffalo, there's always that Buffalo connection to a lot of things that happen around the country and the world. Um, and, uh, you know, I still see video of that in various news stories. Uh, but it's great to have insight from somebody in the state capitol, Chris Churchill with the Albany Times Union. How often do you put out a column, Chris? Three. I do three columns a week and then also a newsletter. So basically four a week. So you're a, you're a busy guy. Are you working from home like many of us are? I am, yeah. It's been, a, it's been an interesting adjustment. <laughs> You know, it was at, you know, in March when I first started working at home, it was tough because, you know, it's gray and cold and it's yes. kind of a little office and everything. And then summer came and I could kind of move around and work in all the various places out in the yard and stuff. And it got a lot better. But, you know, obviously it's getting cold again. So we'll see. <laughs> see what the right. Like. Right. Well, um, my co-host Joe Beamer is back at the station in Amherst. I'm here in my home. Uh, definitely a different way to work, and uh, and even from the broadcast world, a whole different way of approaching it. But thank goodness for technology. Chris, really, uh, Joe and I appreciate you coming on. We uh, enjoy the perspective from uh, the other side of the state. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. I look forward to uh, your tweets and uh, looking at your columns on the Albany Times Union site. And uh, we will be back with much more to come. Vic Martucci, Joe, will join us in just a few minutes. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. And we are back for the final segment of Hardline. It's Brenda Alacy along with Joe Beamer. And appreciate you calling in, listening, and texting. Our phone lines are open at 716-803-0930. That's the same number to text if you have some comments about uh, the ever-changing political world that we find ourselves in. And it's a pleasure to once again welcome Vic Martucci to Hardline. Vic, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on board. Vic is a partner at Maziello, Martucci, and Calabrese and Associates, a lobbying government relations and communication services firm here in Buffalo. And Vic, I know you know a whole heck of a lot about polling. And I was wondering uh, what you thought about what's happening with, uh, with polling. Do you think that there's a lot of people who are just not being frank about who they're going to vote for? Uh, are the polls accurate in any other way? Uh, it just seems like you hear a lot of stories about the, the viability of polling. Well, um, for sure, polling has changed a little bit over the years just because of the um, proliferation of, uh, of cell phones um, replacing landlines. Um, so, uh, you know, when you're, when you're drawing a sample, um, a, ra- a truly random sample to uh, have a high confidence level in, in the results, um, Pollsters have had to make adjustments to um, to compensate for um, the change in, in the way people are are, are reachable. Um, but for the most part, um, polling is is accurate in terms of um, when you're looking at trends. Um, that's that's how you should use polling. Um, polling should never be um, used as an absolute because statistics are not absolute. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, the, the current national polls show Vice President Biden up by nine percentage points. Um, that doesn't mean uh, that he's going to win the national vote by nine percent. That's a snapshot in time. The key, and this is what pollsters and, and political experts look at, is what trend are those polls moving in? Are they moving uh, in the direction of one candidate or another? And, and what's the intensity of that movement? Um, and right now, the, uh, the national polling and, and frankly, the, the polling in the battleground states has remained fairly flat um, over the last couple of weeks. And, and, and so that's really how you, how, you, uh, how you utilize polling in trying to predict um, what's going to happen on Election Day. You know, it's interesting you bring up about the landline versus uh, mobile phones, because I think even four years ago, there weren't as many mobile phones as there are now. Uh, is it just that people can't be reached on those phones, or perhaps they're not uh, being answered by the person who one thinks owns it? What, where does that come into play, Vic? 
Well, I think first of all, I think it's, it it becomes more difficult to um, to get the to get the cell phone numbers um, rather than rather than landlines. Um, uh, most pollsters, when they do their their sampling, they uh, they buy lists of registered voters, and those lists of registered voters have landline telephone numbers attached to them. Um, and that's not necessarily the, the the case with with cell phone numbers. So um, they have to go to a uh, random digit dialing uh, scenario where where um, uh, they just randomly pick uh, phone numbers in different area codes, um, and, uh, uh, and 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 then that's how they reach people on cell phones. But you know, you, you probably do this. I do it. A lot of people do it. Um, when you get a number coming in, uh, uh, when you're answering your cell phone and you don't recognize it, um, a lot of times you don't answer it. <laughs> right. My my theory is always if it if, if I don't recognize the number and it's important, they'll leave a message. If it's a if it's a sales call, they're they're, they're not going to leave a message, and so I didn't miss. Right. It. Um, but that's exactly how I feel. Yeah, but the proof is in the pudding, and 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 the fact of the matter is is that. Um, uh, Good pollsters have made adjustments, and um, and and for the most part, um, polling is as accurate today as it as it always has been. You know, it's funny because I heard a report this morning that Hillary Clinton, at this point four years ago, was up by ten points. So people might have felt very confident that she was a shoe in, but we all know what happened. Actually, um, if you look if you look at the real clear politics average, and and I, and I I went back and looked at some of the data last night in preparation for this morning, um, seventeen days out from election, which was yesterday, um, Hillary Clinton had a five point two percent lead um, compared with uh, with uh, Vice President Biden's nine percentage point lead um, uh, this year. So now that that was an average of several polls. Um, and it's important to do that because different polls have different methodologies. Um, they, uh, they 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 oversample sometimes for different uh, demographic groups. Uh, some polls um, poll all voters. Other polls um, poll likely voters. So the the best way to look at those polls in the, is in the aggregate and look at and look at averages. Um, and the average of all the polls that had been taken um, over a seven-day period, 17 days out, um, uh, Joe Biden is actually in a stronger position nationally uh, than Hillary Clinton was at the same point four years ago. Um, but as we talked about the last time I was on the show, we don't elect presidents nationally. Uh, we don't elect presidents directly. We we have 50 state elections for president of the United States, and it's based on the Electoral College. And um, uh, 10 to 12 states uh, are usually in play, and uh, anywhere from 38, uh, 38 uh, to 40 states um, are already decided. And so this election is going to be decided like the past several um, in a handful of battleground states. Do those battleground, the state polls, uh, different than the national polls, do they use a different strategy, or is it the same thing as if I were taking a national poll? It's, it's the same thing. Um, and uh, um, the, the sample sizes typically are a little smaller because you don't need to, you don't need to interview as many um, voters to get to the same uh, margin of error 
because the, the universe is smaller, obviously. Population is smaller in a state than the nation as a whole. But that's really the only difference. Now, last week we had John Zogby on, and he has the president's approval rating higher than anyone else has it, uh, any of the other polls has it. So when we look at sampling and oversampling of certain, does that go for every poll? Um, and is that played into the real clear politics uh, average? Well, that, and that's why it's, I think it, it, it makes sense to look at the average, and it, which is a, an average of several polls, specifically because of that reason, um, that different pollsters use different methodologies. And so um, you're, you're going to have numbers that uh, may be skewed one way or the other based on that methodology. So averaging it kind of smoothens out the, the, the out, it takes takes out the outlier, outlying polls, because there are outlying polls. Um, I'll give you an example. There, there were two polls done uh, this past week in Florida. One has um, President Trump up by one percentage point, and the other one has Joe Biden up by 11 points. Well, that 11-point uh, margin for Joe Biden is an outlier poll. Um, I didn't have a chance to look at the methodology, but there was something in there um, that uh, that that caused that result to be so so much different um, than than all the other polls that were were being taken. And the other fact is, uh, fact of the matter is is that um, not only the 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 uh, margin of error you hear the margin of error plus or minus three percent. So that means that the numbers in the poll are um, within plus or minus three percent of the actual results. But there's what pollsters call a confidence interval, and usually the confidence interval on these polls is around 97%. Well, what that means is there's a 3% chance that the poll is totally invalid, um, and that could happen with an outlier poll. So that's why I think it makes more sense to look at these averages. Now, you said, you know, four years ago, Hillary Clinton had a five-point lead, if you look at the average, um, and in 16 days. Now, nationally, she still won, but she lost the, uh, the Electoral College. What is, in, in the history of uh, political uh, presidential elections, what is the most likely thing to happen in the next 16 days that could move these polls one way or the other? Well, let me, and if if you don't mind, let me let me give you kind of a snapshot of where I see the the uh, the battleground states right now, and then I'll I'll, I'll answer that question. Um, President Trump won 306 electoral votes four years ago. You need 271 to win, and he did that by winning states that um, President Obama won in 2012. And those states were Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Iowa, and Florida. Those states total 99 electoral votes. Um, today, in the real uh, clear politics average, Joe Biden leads in every one of those states except for Ohio. And Ohio is, is a dead heat. Um, it's, it, the the uh, President Trump's lead is 0.5 percentage points, which is well within the margin of error. So uh, for Joe Biden to win, um, he needs to win. Um, he needs to pick up 36 electoral votes from that group. And if you look at it, there's three states 
that um, that that uh, uh, Biden or that uh, Obama and and Trump both won uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Um, those three states total 46 electoral votes. If Biden wins two of those three states, two of those three, and President Trump holds all of the remaining states that he won four years ago, Joe Biden wins. Um, and that's the difficulty right now for, um, for President Trump. And all three of those states, the reason I selected those three states, Biden's lead in all three of those states are outside of the margin of error. 5.6% lead in Pennsylvania, 7.2% in Michigan, 6.3% in Wisconsin. So having said that, what happened four years ago, if you recall, is that uh, right about now, um, the famous uh, James Comey letter was released to Congress, uh, where he um, uh, questioned the, um, uh, the legality of uh, how um, Hillary Clinton handled her emails while she was Secretary of State. And that's when those battleground polls began to tighten. Um, is there another surprise out there this year, as there was four years ago? Time will tell. Uh, but the next 10 days are going to be critical. When we get to uh, three or four days out, if these battleground polls don't tighten and, and, and tighten significantly, um, the likelihood is, is that uh, we'll have a new president. Uh, Dick, I was wondering if uh, I was thinking about the Comey uh, bombshell from four years ago, and I was wondering if you think that the Trump campaign was likening the um, Hunter Biden Burisma, uh, you know, potential scandal, if you will, as this year's version of a bombshell. Uh, is that how you think they're positioning that? Yeah, there's no question that that the president's campaign would like to like to draw that analogy. The, the difference so far is that um, is that the the alleged impropriety involves the vice president's son, not the vice president. Um, and and number two, there needs to be some uh, uh, reliable source um, that verifies what happened. You know, four years ago it was the FBI director. It was the it was James Comey. Um, so it can't be, in my opinion, a story that's based on anonymous sources. Um, it, there, there needs to be a credible source that comes out publicly and says there's something here. Now, everything that you read about this issue is that there may be connections to the vice president, um, that there was selling uh, of influence, um, and that it affected policy towards the Ukraine, uh, number one. And number two, um, that uh, the FBI has this information. Um, and so if the FBI has it and it's under active investigation, there's the potential for the same type of scenario that there was four years ago. That's the kind of thing that might be able to move the needle. Um, otherwise, people have pretty much made up their minds, um, and it becomes a turnout election. Um, and that's the other wild card that we haven't talked about, and that's um, mail-in balloting. Right. You know, 82 million people in this country have applied for a mail-in ballot, um, and 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 uh, 57 million voted by mail in 2016. So that's a significant increase. And in the battleground states, 
10 million more Democrats requested mail-in ballots than Republicans. Um, so, you know, the landscape is, is, is difficult right now for the president. And what about all the early voting? How does that figure into it? Yeah, 26 million people have voted so far um, as of yesterday. And that is 19% of the total number of people that voted in 2016. So unless more people are going to vote this year, which, which is likely because you've got 81 million people or 82 million people applying for um, mail-in ballots, um, but 26 million people have already cast their, cast their votes, that's significant. And um, I really believe that the president made a huge strategic error um, and, and casting doubt on, on mail-in ballots and the, and the legitimacy of mail-in ballots, because as we can see by these numbers, his voters, Republican voters, are not voting by mail-in. Democrats are. Um, and, you know, if you have bad weather in, in, in one of the battleground states or several of the battleground states, or, you know, God forbid, there's a big outbreak of covid um, and people don't feel comfortable going to the polls, particularly seniors, and seniors, right. the seniors are a critical voting block for the president. Um, if, they, if they felt that, they, that it was legitimate that they could vote by mail, um, that, would have, that, would have, um, that would have guarded against the prospects of, uh, of, of low turnout on Election Day. I think it was a huge strategic mistake by the president's team. And continue- Martucci. I'm sorry, Vic, go ahead. And it continues to be. They continue to cast doubt on on the legitimacy of of mail-in voting. Yeah, I think he mentioned it again yesterday when he was at the rally in Muskegon, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, Vic Martucci is on the line with us, uh, taking your calls as well, 803. Uh, let's see, Joe, I almost gave out the wrong number. 803-0930. Star 930. Number, bro. Yes. And, the, and it's uh, also the text line. The Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board also open at 803-0930. Let's go to Rochester and talk to John. Hey, John. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brenda. Vic. Uh, Vic, Morning. got a question for you. Uh, I don't think Trump did make a mistake on bringing out the fraud that could happen with the mail-in voting. And I'll tell you why. Right, right now there's some open cases, and I think maybe indictments down in Houston uh, – 23 indictments or 23 charges were brought about voter fraud by uh, uh, some Democratic operatives in Houston, Texas. And then he had the uh, voter fraud that went on during the primary for Omar in in Minneapolis. So I think Trump actually could rev up the base by bringing this out. What are your thoughts there? Well, here's where I think it's a mistake. Um, I think it's a mistake because if there's, as I mentioned earlier, if, if there's bad weather, if there's um, a severe outbreak in COVID in, in areas where the president needs to generate turnout, um, it, his voters are not voting by mail-in ballot because he's convinced them that their vote won't count, that it's not legitimate. And from that perspective, that's where I think it was a strategic mistake. Legally, and even, you know, from a common sense standpoint, um, the more people that handle a ballot outside of elected officials, the more opportunity there is for fraud. That's common sense, and, and that's what the president is trying to say. But he takes it a step further. 
and and he he he's convincing his voters not to vote by mail and ballot and he's taking a huge risk when he does that because it could affect his turnout on election day because of unforeseen circumstances as i said like weather or or um, or a covid uh, another covid outbreak so um you know what happens in the courts afterwards will have to play out um but the president needs as many of his voters to get to the ballot box and vote as possible and the easier he would have made that for them to do it the better off he would have been and that's why i think it was a strategic error what about the disqualification of ballot, some of these uh, mail-in ballots? There, there are some strict uh, guidelines that have to be adhered to. If they don't dot their, dot their I's, cross their T's, uh, they could be just thrown out, right? Well, that's absolutely true, and, and that will affect the outcome of the election. So, um, And that's some of what you were talking about earlier is those kinds of things happen. People didn't fill out the ballot correctly. Uh, they didn't sign the, the the proper affidavit. They didn't put it in the right envelope. Um, they didn't mail it in time. Uh, all of those things come into play, and those votes won't count. If they're not cast properly, they won't count. But that's different than fraud. Um, fraud means an intentional um, an intentional attempt uh, to, um, to 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 vote more than once to uh, to affect the election in, a, in an illegal way, and the courts will have to take care of that, regardless of whether the president encouraged his voters to vote by mail or not. Well, that's what uh, Trump was afraid of also, that his his supporters would uh, not fill out the ballot right. So he, he said, let's go do it direct and be safe. Well, again, my own opinion is... Um, I'm looking at people that potentially might not vote because of extenuating circumstances that would vote by mail, um, particularly, particularly seniors, which is a key voting block of the president's. Um, and seniors are uncomfortable um, going out in public because of COVID because they're in the high-risk uh, population. Um, we see that all over the country. And so... Um, if I were advising the president and I was running his campaign, I would be encouraging my voters, um, if, they, if they don't feel comfortable going to the polls, to vote by mail. Um, and there are ways you can educate your voters to make sure that they, um, that they uh, uh, handle the ballot process properly. Uh, John, thanks for the call. Vic, one last question. Uh, and this is just uh, your personal opinion. No, early November 4th, will we know who the president of the United States is? I have a hard time believing we will because of the large number of mail-in ballots. I mean, the 82 million mail-in ballots, that's an incredible number. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's more than 50% greater than, than four years ago. And that whole process takes time. It has to be done the right way with safeguards in place so that, um, for example, in New York, um, when, when paper ballots are being counted, there has to be at least one Republican elections inspector and one Democrat elections inspector watching those ballots be counted. Um, and all of that takes time. So with that number of mail-in ballots, I would be surprised if we're going to know 
um, on on election night or the day after um, who won the election. And, and the the best example I can give you, and we all and we saw it in our backyard, um, was the special election um, between Chris Jacobs and, and Nate McMurray. I mean, Chris was up. Um, it was it was over sixty, uh, I believe, sixty four, sixty five percent of the vote on the machine count, um, and uh, he ended up winning by a much smaller margin after all the the mail and ballots were counted, and that was two weeks afterwards. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 